Welcome to the Core Women Podcast. My name is Dr. Summer Watson. I'm a doctor of psychology, podcaster, published author, coach, producer of documentary empowerment films, and empowerment seminars. This podcast is a special place for the hearts and souls of women. It is a place where women share their journeys, strength, resiliency, strategy, and passions. Today on the show, I'd like to welcome Molly Pompadit, who is an entrepreneur, CEO of SOAR Community Network, and co-founder of the SOAR Community Nebula. She is a TEDx speaker twice over, an international best-selling author, workshop and retreat facilitator, and war refugee. We have so much to talk about here, Molly. So let's get right into this and welcome. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. Absolutely. So let's talk about and tell the listeners a little bit about your personal journey in Laos and how you arrived in America. Uh, My personal journey in Laos um, really began the moment that I was born or even before I was born. I was born in March of 1975. And uh, by the end of May, the war was declared over for the rest of the world. I'm talking about the Vietnam War. And uh, as the war was over for the rest of the world, it really began inside of Laos with the civil unrest. Uh, my father had worked for the old government as a humanitarian, a social worker. His name was on the list, and so therefore he was blacklisted and um, was captured. And luckily, by the grace of the divine power, by the grace of God, he actually escaped. And that really was the reason why he knew there was no way that we could stay there and uh, be safe. So he plotted and planned two to three years to uh, through secret telegrams um, to get us out of the country. So he, in the middle of the night, um, you know, worked with some relatives and friends from across the river in Thailand and gave everything, his land, uh, his, his money, everything to a family uh, that lived along the riverbank so that we could have one tiny boat to cross. And that's really the journey where the journey began. And we really were refugees. We escaped Laos. We luckily made it uh, on that tiny boat. There were six and a half of us. Uh, my brother was in my mom's tummy. She was seven months pregnant at the time. And we arrived in Thailand. The relatives stuffed us, stuffed us in a produce truck, uh, took us to a safe house for two weeks or so. And then one night we finally made it to the refugee camp and waited for the guards to kind of walk around where they couldn't see us and started digging under the barbed wire fences to get inside the refugee camp. And that's how we really started our journey to safety. And then um, less than a year later, through petitioning and more letters and telegrams to America, to the United States, um, relatives here were able to really rally for us and go door to door, knocking on churches to see what church would sponsor our family from the refugee camp. Um, Most families were separated and we were blessed that a tiny little church in Maryland outside of Washington, D.C. decided that they were going to invest what little money they did have to bring all seven of us to the United States of America. What an incredible, incredible story. And for people who don't know, in 1975, the communist government came to power in Laos in 1975. And by 1980, the Laotian population in the U.S. reached 47,683 and just continued to grow. So, I mean, there is a deep history there. It is 
an absolute blessing that you made it here, that you had family that worked with you to get you to Thailand. So what was it like as a young girl going through that journey and then arriving in America? I grew up really, 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 really early. Um, I was adulting and I was um, parenting my parents and my grandmother. And I say I, and what I mean by I is we, my siblings, the collective I. Um, we grew up fast and we came here with absolutely nothing. Uh, the church really helped us for many years, but my father was a very proud man. You know, he said that he didn't want handouts. And so he worked really hard. And um, he worked two or three jobs. My, my mother worked two or three, three jobs. My mom washed dishes for many years. My father was a janitor. Um, and then eventually my mom went to work for Marriott Hotel as a hotel housekeeper. And she just a few years ago, she retired there. Uh, but really, they just worked hard. And when they would come home at night exhausted, they would ask us, what did you learn in school today? So we taught them what we learned. Uh, and I started doing bills for them when I was seven or eight years old. So it was full of responsibility. Absolutely. And you can completely understand what you mean by adulting. So as a young child, you were taking on a lot of the responsibility of self-care, also of translating the language, translating some of the things that they needed to do, such as pay their bills, checking account. Yeah, you were adulting early. So maybe we can talk about your evolution in business and what sparked this interest and maybe how you brought forth those learned skills and applied them to your development as an entrepreneur. I, I remember saying to myself that the only way out of the circumstances we were in, I knew that it was through education. And beyond education, I knew that one day I was going to be my own boss. I was going to be an entrepreneur. I didn't know how, I didn't know what skills that I was going to lean into, but I just in my heart knew that I wanted to do whatever I needed to do to make sure that my family did not have to feel this way forever. Uh, and I studied really hard. I mean, the, the whole idea of dating, the whole idea of, you know, staying over and partying with friends, it was just not even in my vocabulary. I just was book smart and studied really hard. I started working when I was 15 years old. Every other check went to help my parents. And I knew that we could not afford for, for us to go to college because of really their jobs. I mean, dishwasher, hotel housekeeper, and a janitor. And um, I tell you, Dr. Watson, one thing that was really impressive to me is my father told me that he saved every dime. And within seven years of arriving to the United States of America, he was able to put a down payment on a home. He arrived with $20,000 in a suitcase and said that I was going to buy, that he was going to buy a home for us. And he did. And I share that story because entrepreneurship, working really hard, being determined, setting your goals and going after it was something I witnessed. It wasn't just what I read in books and learned through college courses. I saw it with my very eyes. The, the, the person that I really admire with my grandmother, my mom and dad, those three, they didn't complain very much. We knew life was hard, but we did not feel poor at home. I knew that I was poor when I went to high school, when we were no longer in an environment where we were wearing uniforms, because in middle school, I went to an academy um, with, through help of the church, and we all wore uniforms. It was in high school where I was like, oh my gosh, like I have to repeat my clothes. 
And so that's when my dad used to take us to the thrift store. And I mean, it, because inside the home, there was so much love and there was so much um, trust and value that, that my parents showed us. They, they had pride in their work. Like my dad never complained about cleaning toilets. He always said, thank goodness we have a job and thank goodness the job can afford for us to feed you and, you know, do all these things. So it's always this gratitude. And that is something that I believe is a part of entrepreneurship is being optimistic, being hopeful, being grateful, seeing beyond what we have today, knowing that we can build and create something bigger and better in, in the tomorrow. And I, I just I just learned that from my parents. Yeah, I love that. I absolutely love that, Molly, just because my paternal grandparents worked in canneries and they never complained, ever, ever. They took pride in their jobs. And what always amazed me as I look back is they bought a house, they paid for a car with cash, they saved their money, they were able to buy us Christmas gifts. My grandmother celebrated everything from Easter to Christmas to, and she would give us little gifts knowing that that was what she valued and it was important to her. So I understand that whole concept of being proud and having gratitude. And it's amazing when you look at these folks and where they've come from and what they've done. It is just amazing. So like you said, you, you witnessed it. You saw the modeling that happened where there was gratitude there was happiness in the home how did you as a youngster going through that transition in high school where there were these imposed judgments so to speak how did you adapt to that how did you pull away from that and on top of that because you didn't really you know party or look at the or dating or look at those things as um something that you yearned for or wanted to do necessarily and we always call that, how did you find balance? But what was your balance, so to speak? What was your interpretation of balance? And what is it now? Back in high school, I'll tell you the truth. Uh, there was no balance. I, I just studied really hard. And the balance of having fun and partying and being a kid and being a teenager wasn't an option for me, at least in my mind. So I value balance now. But back then I was, again, adulting. I was like, okay, what do what I have to do? You know, what I have to do? I got to work at 15. As soon as I could get my working permit, I was working. Yeah. Uh, I took, I basically joined every extracurricular activity I could because I knew that the only way for me to go to college was to do it academically. Mm -hmm. So I graduated a 4.13 GPA. I, you know, was a stock soccer statistician. I was in aesthetics club. I was the president of the, uh, the vice president of the honor, um, honor society, like everything. I mentored uh, math students at 7am because I wanted the extra credit because I knew that there was no funding available for me. So I had to do it scholastically. I had to do it academically. So no, the, 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 the whole balance thing did not happen, you know, for right, me. Right, right. <laughs> And, and what's interesting there too, is that you were so highly driven because you had a goal. Did that ever catch up with you? How did you deal with that? How did you take the step back and recognize that it's time for you to take a break for you to have that downtime? Absolutely. I think, well, nature always needs balance and we are part of nature and we need balance. And my life had always been shaped by this desire to 
run towards something uh, because of fear of loss or fear of not having enough. And by the time that I was 35, it caught up with me. I, at that, at that point at 35, I had already experienced several traumas and we can go into that if you'd like to. Um, but I had gone through a lot of traumas and a lot of losses. I had started a new career in financial services. And by the time I reached 35, I'm like, okay, I feel like I've healed through those traumas. I feel like I'm successful because I have this financial practice and I'm making good money, but something deep within me, I felt unhappy. I felt like a part of my soul was dying and I had to go deeper into this journey and ask myself what's going on. And it, it was this powerful pivotal moment for me. It was in the middle of winter and I was driving to a client's home and I was early and I was preparing. And normally I do meditation or tapping before the meeting. And I rolled down my window because I'm like, let me get some fresh air. I turned off the car and nearby was a playground and it was winter. So it was kind of interesting why there was a child with her parents. And all of a sudden I heard this, this, this screech, this, this innocent laughter this loud it just shook me to the core and I thought I don't know what that feels like to just laugh and innocent with, with just so much innocence and just so much acceptance and I thought I don't know what it feels like to feel light and just happy with nothing on my chest because the moment I had a memory where I was already on that boat escaping war. And that's when I realized, wow, I have a lot of internal work to do. I wanted at that point at 35, I said, I want to try living life where I make decisions based on trust, divine trust, uh, trusting that everything is as it should be, that I could have lightness and, and believe that think good things can happen to me because prior to that, realization, I had always made every decision based on some type of fear of not having enough of wanting more, whatever it is. And I wanted to try a life where I have enough. Everything is good. So make a decision based on you already have enough. So that was when the balance was what I was searching for, because it just hit me to the core with that sound of innocent screeching, that, that, that joyous laughter that I never had experienced that. I never knew what that felt like. And I wanted to create a life where I could feel that way. Right. Wow. What a moment. What a pivotal moment for you. You've already done some work, but you knew at that point that you had not experienced that lightness. And I like the way that you put that. And I think that's really important for people to hear that lightness. And, and it's something that I can really, really tap into. I love to laugh. And laughter is such a reprieve. It's such a healing thing for me. And to be able to do that with other people is so rewarding. I'm so grateful for that because it, it tends to bring people closer to me. It tends to be my authenticity, who I am. So if you can't laugh, I have a hard time with that because laughter in everything that I do, be it work, be it play, is so important. And for you, you found that lightness. Now we could go and touch on some of the trauma, but I think that you've touched on the trauma from childhood and brought that forward. I mean, there's a lot of, lot of very distinct moments in your life 
that you experience trauma just by being a little kid and uprooted from your home in the middle of the night, going on a boat, worrying about whether or not you're going to make it to your family, to America, to into the refugee camp, digging under the fence to try and get it. Trauma. So of course, you know, you're going to be a high achiever, you're going to be striving, you know, and that's okay. But understanding where that's coming from and why you're constantly going and, and moving out of fear, you did, you figured that out. And so here you are, you have this pivotal moment and you've done all this work. And I like that you mentioned two things, meditation and tapping. And I don't know if a lot of people know about tapping, but those are two really important things that you figured out and utilized and applied in your life to bring some balance. And that's very important. I feel that we all have to find our modalities. Mm -hmm. Not everyone is going to resonate with meditation or EFT tapping. Um, I also do poetry and write music. I also garden. I love gardening. Uh, I love dabbling into singing and songwriting because it's it, anything that will allow emotions to move through me and leave me somehow is a part of that healing journey to release the trauma that never goes away, by the way, it just gets lighter and you're able to, to maneuver and you're able to cope and you're able to figure out ways where you can live um, an expanded, elevated life, even as the trauma is part of your foundation, when you start to release the pain or resentment or whatever emotions that are holding you back, when you're able to release it, you don't abandon those experiences. In fact, you look back at them and you are grateful. And, and I mean that in the most sincerest of ways. You're, you're grateful because that empathy bucket that within me that is so deep and so wide would not exist without those moments as painful as they were as much as I can honestly say, I don't wish them on anyone. I really do not. Um, I'm also very grateful that it built me up and gave me the plasticity, the, the, the flexibility. It's, it's like I get to, understand what it feels like to be the bamboo instead of the stone uh, where you have to be so strong and you have to, you know, kind of hunker down and, and then a little tiny crack and you crumble. For me, it's like, no, I am the bamboo. I am deeply grounded. I know myself now. I know my flaws. I know my own beauty and my worth. And so when the wind blows really strongly, I'm planted. Yes, I'll sway. And yes, I may, you know, be a little astray from my path, but I know what my North Star is and I am grounded. And what helps me is surrounding myself with people who will also lovingly challenge me and say, you're, you're not on your path. Yeah. Well, that's beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. And that is so important that you mentioned, we're not all going to do things the same way. We're going to find our own specific way of doing something and our own specific way of finding lightness, balance, being grounded. And I also appreciate that you touched back into the gratitude you have for your past. Even though there were some hardships and some traumas, you are now 
filled and gained with wisdom from that past. And a lot of times we forget to embrace that. Many times people say, don't look back because, and I think they say it because they want to make sure that you're not wallowing or stuck in the past. But sometimes we need to look to the past to see how far we've come, to see the wisdom that we've gained, to see what we want to do with our journey from there. So I have a part in my book, it's called Glance Back, and it has to do with that. So let's move on because I want you to touch on what the SOAR Community Network is and SOAR Community Nebula. I'll start with the SOAR Community Nebula. The SOAR Community Nebula uh, was uh, a seed that was planted within myself and, and my husband when we went to India um, over two and a half years ago now. We were invited to go meet with global change agents and meditate for peace in the world. And it's something that I had never done before. My husband's very practical and logical, it's something he definitely had never done before. But I thought, you know, we have this gift um, not many people get asked or invited to do something like this. And for us to say no to such a spiritual, something that flowed in and just fell into our life. It's just like, you know, it, it, it's like when you sit by the river stream and things kind of glide through and, and you can reach it, like you don't want to ignore it. So we, I reached out and I said, let's do it. And we went. And um, when we got there, we realized that it was a beautiful experience to meet people without titles, without knowing if they were, if they had $50 in the bank account or $50 billion in their bank account, right? It was just good people who cared about creating a better society and a better world. And they wanted to learn different modalities to take back to their communities and, and, and use it for, for good. And we thought on the way back to the, uh, on the, in the airport that we felt so good about it that we met these incredible souls. And we said, it'd be a shame to just leave, to just leave knowing that this is possible to bring people from all over to collaborate, to discuss, to learn, to share with one another, uh, and then not pay it forward or, or move it forward. And so we decided that we would launch Nebula and it would be an online platform because not everybody can travel. And certainly now with COVID, uh, this is the ideal that we wanted to plant the seed several years ago where it would be something virtual where uh, we call our Nebula members change agents. So global change agents can come together. They pay a fee, an annual fee or monthly, depending on what they choose. And there are events throughout the month where they can come and share ideas or so ideation gatherings. We can mastermind together. We can, uh, we also do mix and mingles where we don't talk shop at all. We just have these trivia questions and we share intimately about our life journey to get to know each other at the core, at the soul level and address the the gifts, the talents, our work skills, and then also talk about scaling our businesses or nonprofits or NGOs or grassroots initiatives. Some of our members are there because not because they don't, they want to become an entrepreneur. They love their job, but there's something in their soul that wants to do more for society. So they want to learn how to build a grassroots initiative. So we commune and we share that's Nebula. So anyone who is either a solopreneur, entrepreneur, um, or even have employees like less than a small, a small group can join. 
the SOAR Community Network is our company. It's our consulting agency. We've been around for nine years now. And we started with a very small business market. Um, so that's now kind of been where we're transferring a lot of the consultations and learnings uh, to Nebula. The consultation work we do under the SOAR community brand is we build communities within organizations and we call it our C3 framework, our C3 community framework. We go inside organizations that are growing, typically small to mid-size, 50 employees or up to a thousand employees, 50 employees or more. And it's kind of like training the infants on how to build a business when they're young that is infused with compassion, that it has to be compassion at every level. That's the first C. Uh, that compassion then fosters cohesion and harmony with among people, that it's not a workforce filled with workhorses. These are human beings. These are your talents, your treasures. And then the third C is not just collaboration, but effective collaboration. And when I say effective collaboration, effective collaboration, you know it when you experience it. It's when the things are in flow. So you can't have effective collaboration without cohesion. And you can't have cohesion without compassion. So it's just this whole circle of the C3s. That's what we do. Uh, companies hire us and they ask us, how do we build a community within? Because we're having engagement issues. We're having team dynamics issues. We're having absenteeism. Um, and we're having a hard time attracting good talent because our culture is not so great. Right. Well, I absolutely love that. I appreciate everything that you're doing. Now, I'm going to take a step back because I want to know what Nebula means, what it stands for. What is that? That's awesome that you asked. Mm -hmm. So you don't know my husband and I very well yet because uh, we're getting, we're just getting to know each other. I am much more of a cultivator and uh, intuitive uh, and subjective and all the heart centered stuff. Now I have the other practical side of my brain because I was in financial services for many years, but naturally that's my tendency. My husband is very logical, but he's also a musician. And when we were just deciding on what we wanted to call this group of ours, this community, this hub, we wanted to bridge the secular with the divine. We wanted to address people who are logical and practical and want to know actions that they can take to change the world and not just dream about it, not just visualize it. And we thought Nebula is perfect because Nebula is also very spiritual because as the cosmos is just like, mystery and endless possibilities. We don't have all the answers yet. And yet it's rooted in science. And so it's the combination of both the spiritual realm and the physical science realm that we decided that we wanted Nebula to be practical, driven by action, to do that ethereal work of vision casting and, and creating a better world. I love it. Let's talk about your books. You're a number one best-selling author. So talk about the book. The first book, my first book was a, uh, is a memoir. It was, it's called A Million Fireflies. I wrote that back in 2011. So it's almost time now to write that second edition because this is prior to me meeting my husband. Ah. Uh, and so A Million Fireflies is a journey of really just lighting up the world. Um, when, when you think of fireflies, you think of the dark, 
as well as the light that 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 being that you are has both and that's what life is you know it's like you know when it's time to light it up when you can't see but you also know when to turn it off so you can actually live and and experience life for what it is it's messy it's ugly and yet it's beautiful and it's all those things uh, so that was my first book it's about the journey from a child from from Lao all the way up to my adult life and then I wrote um, seen and sustain with a few uh, female entrepreneurs and that talks about vision and mission mapping it's a process that we built and I use that today with my practice uh, that was a beautiful experience because you know oftentimes people say well women you know sometimes they don't get along oh my goodness that when we wrote that book together it was such a, a beautiful experience it was like my soul sisters coming together to write a book for small business owners to ask yourself this question, what's your vision and your mission for the outcome, the legacy you desire through your work? Uh, no more borrowing of content. You got to go, you got to use this mapping process to go deeper within your own life journey to get the answers. Um, so that was the second book. And then I participated in several compilation series, uh, one called Born to Be Me, the other called The Balancing Act. Uh, so those are two others. Those two uh, became number one international bestsellers. Uh, that was awesome experience as well, working with so many different women from around the world. Uh, and then I also self-published a, a book of poetry that is an ebook but also an affirmations book of all of my photos that I took on my world, on my world travels and created a workbook, if you will, of affirmations. So I could give examples of the affirmations that I use to help me come back to center when things just go a little crazy in life. And then it allows um, the um, audience to create their own affirmations as well. Oh, that's beautiful. Well, thank you so much for telling us about your books, describing the books. What is your personal vision for yourself? I often say that my hope and my legacy is to help every single person that's sent to me see, own, articulate, and release their unique light, gifts, talents into the world to make it better. Um, and so that's why the name of our company is SOAR, actually. It stands for See, Own, Articulate, Release, Your Unique Light, Your Gifts, Your Talents, Your Experiences into the World. And by doing that and helping every individual do that, I believe that there it will be more compassion, more desire to give of yourself beyond ego and serve your community. And that is a part of, of my work is to help build communities having each person love themselves, have compassion for themselves, treat their fellow neighbors and humankind with love and respect. And by way of doing that, start to build a community of like-minded and like-hearted souls who can reshape this world. Um, because, you know, the, the world where we are, we, we, we see a lot of ugly, we're experiencing a lot of ugly, and it's, it's, um, it's kind of a pivotal moment in, in time with the existence of our planet and, and you know, what will be for the next generation or two. And I feel like we still have time to turn the tide. And this is the time to amplify hope. This is the time to amplify 
our self-love, our self-value, spread that because with that love and with that desire to bring more good into the world, um, I think that we can eradicate the darkness. It's just going to take a lot of us to do it and a will and, and a desire to be a part of, of saving this planet on so many levels for future generations to come. Well, thank you so much for that. Now, my last question, if you were to leave the listeners with some words of wisdom, what would they be? I would say find some time with nature to get back to remembering who you are. Beyond the pain, beyond the anger, beyond the resentment, beyond all the stuff that you know deep down is holding you back, go back to that innocence. Find a way to tap into the purity of your spirit, your soul, so that you can become a force for good and a light, that you share positive vibrations versus negative, that you are an earth angel instead of uh, an energy zapper, you know, because that's really our opportunity is to choose what do you want to be, who do you want to be, uh, in this world. And I say, spend time with yourself, spend time with dating you, falling back in love with all the beauty that you are, because until you can fill up with that love and self-worth, you really can't love and give value to anything else uh, in your life in an authentic way. Well, I want to thank you, Molly, for joining me on the Core Women podcast today. Thank you for having me. I appreciate you and appreciate what you're doing. Thank you so much. If you'd like to connect with Molly, you can reach out to her on SOAR Community Network on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and at SOARcommunitynetwork.com. If you need a strategic empowerment coach, contact me. If you want to tell your story of empowerment or how you have reconstructed your life to drive change, Send me a video or an email of your story providing permission to use it on my social media platforms. If you want to be featured on my podcast, reach out to me at info at corewomen.com. I want to hear from you and to get to know you. You are now part of the Core Women home. Let's get to know each other. Let's learn from one another. Please follow Core Women on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Please let your women friends know about this podcast. If you write about Core Women in your social media posts, please hashtag core women. This is all about women. Thank you for taking the time to learn more about core women and please stay tuned for continued growth of the core women movement. Let's grow and drive change together.